Just like Chief Seattle said, in part, said it to the President of the United States. Tribe follows tribe and nation follows nation. It's like the waves of the sea. It's the order of nature. And regret is useless. Your time of decay may be distant, but it will surely come. For even the white man's God, who walked and talked with him as friend with friend, could not escape our common destiny. We may be brothers after all. We shall see. That's Russell Means, and this is Alternative Radio. I'm David Barsamian. This special edition of AR features Russell Means, Knowing Who You Are, Lessons from Native America. For years, the indigenous peoples of the United States, after having been dispersed and decimated and relegated to reservations, were reduced to caricatures. We all knew Indians and their culture. There was the familiar medicine man, the trading post, Geronimo and Crazy Horse, papooses and squaws, teepees and tomahawks, war dances and war parties. Tonto was the epitome of faithfulness and subservience. The formation and rise of the American Indian movement, AIM, in the late 1960s and early 1970s, did much to break down conventional stereotypes. AIM, through its actions at Wounded Knee, Alcatraz, Mount Rushmore, and the Bureau of Indian Affairs, demonstrated that Native Americans could and would fight back against racism and oppression. Russell Means, an Oglala Lakota, and a prominent voice in the struggle for indigenous rights, was the first national director of the American Indian Movement. Under his leadership, the organization undertook protests and actions that attracted national and international attention. He passed away in South Dakota on October 22, 2012. This classic from the AR archives was recorded in Boulder, Colorado in 1993. And now, Russell Means. Amitakwepe, Miomalakota. Hello, my relatives. I am an ally from Yellow Thunder Village in the sacred Black Hills. I want you to know just a glimpse of what it's like to be an Indian in this country. Out of sight, out of mind. But in taking that glimpse and acknowledging that fact, you still don't know who we are. And in order for us to be accepted into the human race, we have to have a glimpse of who we are, what we're all about, and why, as this Korean woman who had lived over here for 12 years, or 8 years at the time I, I knew and she was marrying a friend of mine, a Spanish friend of mine in New York City 
And we were at a, a party, and there was an international guest list. And she came up to me, and she says, why is it that everybody that comes to this country wants to be just like the Americans, and you who were here first, you don't want to be like the Americans? <laughs> I said, that's a very astute observation. There is a reason. But I'm not going to tell you at this party. But I'll give you all a glimpse of my heritage and what my children are going to be all about. A long time ago, this is what my grandpa John Feather told me when I was about five, six years old. The summer before I started the first grade, he used to take me on walks down Greenwood, South Dakota. Tell me a lot of things. And we'd always end up down at the, the store, the only store in Greenwood. And he'd buy me a strawberry pop and a bag of chips. I loved those walks with my grandpa. He'd talk to me, tell me stories. Most of his stories didn't have an ending. He'd tell me a story, no ending. Tell me action stories, love stories, building stories, all kinds of stories. Didn't have an ending. And I'd get frustrated and sometimes mad and impatient. Well, did it happen this way? Wouldn't say nothing. Did it happen that way? Wouldn't say anything. Sometimes he'd say, well, you figure it out. He never told me the endings to those stories. What I did realize later, what I did realize was that he was really teaching me to analyze, to fire my own imagination, to come, come, to, come to conclusions of my own independently. Logic. He also told me stories about the people, the Lakota. Well, he said Dakota, because he come from that part of my nation that speaks with a D. He told me this story. A long time ago, the people were sitting around the fire, and the men begin to watch the women grow with child. Pretty soon they witnessed the miracle of birth, of life itself being brought forth from the woman into this, into this world. And then as they continued to watch, they saw the woman grab that newborn life and take it to her breast and nurture it. And they saw that child begin to grow big and strong. That was the end of his story. Again, you have to think about that and what it means. And it wasn't until I joined the American Indian Movement that that, that story resurfaced from my, the back of my brain. And I got to think about it. And I thought about what it really means. And then as I continued to learn and relearn 
what I've been taught and what my people possess. I came to find out and understand the female-male balance in the universe and the female-male balance in all of life and how we constructed our civilizations, our societies, how indigenous people the world over have constructed their societies based upon the female-male balance. All indigenous societies, even Europe had it at one time before the advent of Catholicism. And the female-male balance that is in all of life is in my people. And we acknowledge that the woman is naturally in rhythm with the universe. Think of this. It gives me goosebumps right now. In rhythm with the universe naturally. And with the moon is purified every 29th day on the full moon. Yeah. is purified naturally by the universe. Now it's well known that in small communities the women always have their time of purification at the same time. And it's always with the full moon. And it's at that time in respect for what the universe is and in respect for the female-male balance they would take leave of their communities during their time of purification. And I come to realize they kick back for four, five, six days, you know? <laughs> they just kick back, man. And the young girls who yet were yet to become women, they waited on them, hand and foot. They had their own utensils, their own lodges. And man, they kicked back, you know? <laughs> Gossip, did everything they wanted to do. And the men were left with the babies, the diapers, etc., man. We never got that four-day holiday, you know? <laughs> the female-male balance. <laughs> and so, to understand that, indigenous peoples worldwide began to develop their ceremonies so that the men would come into balance with the female. The female, because she is in rhythm with the universe, is capable of, of life itself, creating life. So we developed a purification ceremony. It's grossly misnamed, called the sweat lodge. It's a purification lodge. That's how we say, inipiwakan, a sacred purification lodge. You know? It's a man's ceremony so that we can become in balance with the female. It represents a womb. And you're reborn when you come out of the purification lodge. You can start again spiritually clean. Other other indigenous societies around the globe have other ceremonies 
to bring them in balance. And another one that the Plains Indians invoked to try to be and come into balance with the female. We won what you the Sundance. That is where we dance for four days and four nights without food or water. And on the fourth day, we pierce our chests or our backs with pieces of wood, and then we break it away and break the flesh. Most people think that's a very macho, brave, warrior-like thing to do. But what it is is a ceremony to try to understand the the burden, the pain and the suffering a woman goes through in childbirth. So that we can have some kind of balance with the female, some kind of knowledge of what it's like to be natural. We have other ceremonies that bring about many songs that talk about this, teach us this female-male balance. In indigenous cultures worldwide, you know that we have songs for everything. A song for everything. Think of anything. We have a song for it. That's why indigenous people know that if we go, we travel anywhere in the world with the drum, we will be welcome. We will be welcomed. Philip Deere. I always counsel those of us in the movement. When you go to another country, to another people, you take a drum and you will be welcome. They will feed you. They will house you. They will protect you, those people. He always took a drum, a small little drum, when he traveled around the world. So these are some of the realities of my heritage. Another reality is our knowledge of life. Why would people pick to live in the Aleutians? I don't suppose any of you have ever been to the Aleutians. If you have, it's very windy, very wet, and very cold. And yet the Aleuts who live on the Aleutian Islands look upon it as paradise. I've been there. I've never lived there. I've been above the Arctic Circle among the Inuit, Inupiat, and the Yupik, commonly referred to as Eskimos. I wouldn't live there. But it's paradise for them. I now live on the Navajo. My children and the mother of my children live there. And we are bound to follow the matrilineal line as indigenous people. And it's the high desert in the southwest. Now I come from a people who know like in the desert it's a paradise. You can't die of thirst. You cannot die of hunger. 
There's a Garden of Eden down there. On the plains. When first viewed by the Europeans, call it a vast wasteland. Desert of grass. It's a paradise. The mountains, where the mountain people live. It's a paradise. Wherever people live, the earth, our sacred mother or grandmother, has the bounty to reward you. If you take care of your mother, if you take care of your grandmother, she will take care of you. You know, we understand the female-male balance in the universe. We understand that the sons of the universe are the male and the planets are the female. It's the planets. It's the planets that create. It's the suns and the stars that give energy. So you've been taught and told up to this very second, of course, that we're uh, violent people. I mean, in order to kill a people, in order to dominate a people, in order to use a people, any peoples on earth, you first have to dehumanize them. So then if you can dehumanize them, then it becomes a virtue to violate one of your commandments. Thou shalt not kill. After all, these savages aren't humans. So if we're still looking for gold in Brazil or Peru, let's just go wipe out a village or two every so often. As what happened. And it's a big international incident now. What happened in Brazil. Or what's happening to the Navo right down the road here. Forced relocation. Or what's happening to the Cree. Forced relocation. Or what's happening... On and on. I mean, soldiers have to dehumanize the enemy. Corporate board members have to dehumanize the human race. Politicians have to dehumanize everything. And this is the society you live in. And I'm sick and tired of it. I have my life, my heritage. I know where I come from and why. I know who brought me here. I know what brought me here and why. And I know where I'm going and why. I have no confusion. I have a home. I have a home. It's not Navajo. My home is the land that makes up my skin. It's back home. It's called a chesapa. I have a home. Every indigenous person on this earth has a home. We never if we move because of marriage, that's not our home. That's where we live. Our home is where we're from. Our roots go deep. 
When we no longer have those roots, then we're like the trees you see in your parks around Boulder and around Denver and around any park where they get water so easy and they become so dependent on human, human supply of water that their roots just go along the top. So when the wind comes along, they blow over real easy. They stand for nothing. They stand for nothing, these trees. And I look at the urban Indians, and their roots go lateral. And I, I cry inside. And I look at the sacred colors of the human race, and the roots are going lateral. And I weep inside. If you can't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And if you can't stand for your home, and if you don't understand that the home is the earth, and you're part of that home, and the home, the earth, is part of you, and you're part of that earth, that feeling doesn't come to you easily. It didn't come to me until you heard about Yellow Thunder Camp. Then I came to that understanding. Of, I feel the Chesapa. I understand the Chesapa now. And I don't have to live there. I can live on the plains or I can live in the desert. But I know where my home is. And the home of my children. they also are being taught that feeling. A mother of the earth, you know. But when you come from a matrilineal society, when you come from a society that when they plant corn, and yes, Plains Indians, and yes, the Lakota planted crops and agriculture. Yes, we had our corn. When you plant corn, you know you have three seeds. One for the crows, one for the earth, and one to go wherever. And, that, and the fourth one is to grow. So you plant them, and they're sacred little, don't need much irrigation. And those four little seeds there, they're talking. And they're choosing who's going to grow, you know. And then they go. And that's how we made other plants. That's how the Hopis can, can plant squashes and melons and beans and corn. All plants that need a lot of water. I can plant them in the desert. I know I did it with them. Without irrigation. Without irrigation. But when you understand that, and you understand that every pine needle is a teacher. When you take your, your son and your daughter out to meet the ant people. And to greet the ant people. And to never tend to teach them, do not ever disturb the home of the ant people. 
Don't disturb the nests of the wingeds. Don't disturb the home of, of the matro, the bear. You don't disturb. And when you cut down a, a teepee pole, you have a ceremony. You give thanks. When the deer sacrifices itself so that you may have sustenance, you give thanks. You have a ceremony before and after. And you give thanks. And you don't misuse anything. You use everything. That kind of society that follows the woman, that recognizes the female-male balance, is impossible of violence. Because we have the clan system. The clan system is run by the women. The female-male balance is there. It's like when we get married. The men are guests in the woman's home. And if by perchance we're thrown out... It's for one of two reasons, or maybe both. We're either lousy lovers and or providers. So you get thrown out of a woman's home. Ain't no one going to take a chance on you, man. You have to head out, you know. <laughs> Nobody's going to take a chance on you. Then you see a lonely guy trucking around, you know, and you're from a, another Indian nation. You know that guy's a loser. <laughs> it's a pretty tight-knit community you got there, you know? It's called responsibility. It's called freedom. Freedom simply means you are free to be responsible. And if you're responsible, you don't go around killing. If the ant people... I've given the respect of life. What about the human being? What about the human being? Do the Indians then dehumanize the Crow people? Or dehumanize the Ojibwe people? And say, they're dirty, rotten savages. We have to go kill them. Or move them to reservations or get them off their land somehow? No. Look at the treaty law, and you will see in your own laws how Indians had so much respect for one another, we even had an every man's land. The Lakota did it with our treaty making with the United States government. We created an every man's land, except the Eurocentric male believed it to be a no man's land. That's where they came from. But every nation, here we were. And then we surrounded it with an every person's land. And then the other nation with their territory. Never any border disputes. No border disputes. Because every place between every nation was in every person's land. You know? And the clan mothers. They call me a nomad and a savage because I'm a Plains Indian. And all we did is we had winter homes and summer homes, you know? 
Of course, every spring we'd head for the summer home, and every fall we'd go to the winter home. Now, why are we called nomads? I mean, in the Eurocentric male society, if you have a winter home and a summer home, you're called rich. You know? How come we're not called rich? Let's play, let's play square here. But imagine, if you will, in acknowledging the female balance, and they are balanced, and where's the honor in killing if you understand life? In fact, if you understand life, you know that the easiest thing to do for the human being to do is to kill. That's the easiest thing. Therefore, if you're a free person and you have responsibility, you will not kill. It's easy to step on an ant. Or nowadays to spray the cockroaches rather than clean up your place. You kill. Think about that. You're listening to Russell Means, Knowing Who You Are, Lessons from Native America, in a special tribute program. This is Alternative Radio. You can order copies of this program by calling our toll-free number, 1-800-444-1977. That's 1-800-444-1977. Or you can order online on our website, alternativeradio.org. That's alternativeradio.org. Now, this violent society I came, this nomadic, savage family I came from. You know, among the Plains Indian, when there were disagreements, it was usually settled without the spilling of much blood. And this is true of indigenous people around the world. Because of the clan system, we have immediate conflict resolution. Find out about the clan system of any indigenous peoples around the world. And you're going to find out that they have a built-in conflict resolution. Built-in conflict resolution then means, of course, you don't have to resort to violence to settle disputes. Now, we live... Imperfect human beings. We had our young people who were rambunctious, daring, foolish. They went out, made mistakes. Just like every society. And those, those mistakes were acknowledged and attempted to take care of. But the most honorable thing we could do when we met an adversary was to touch him. Just touch him and return back. In the southeast, they had a a ball game similar to soccer. And when two nations or two villages couldn't come to an agreement, they'd have a soccer game. Of course, it was very, very rough. Not unlike professional football. And people broke bones and got some lumps, broken bones maybe. But they settled their differences. The Maori, I just love it. I went over to the Maori in New Zealand. And the, the English, you know, which settled New Zealand, it's called Aotearoa. But they have this image of the Maori people as these fierce people. Because the Maoris tattoo their faces for spiritual reasons. Certain ones of them. And especially the women. Well, that made them look scary. Like a Halloween mask. And to this day, 
the Maori, and they have these drums. And then they have these masks. Boy, I look scary. So they must be savage, you know? When they had disagreements among themselves, one of the things they did was make faces at one another. And the ones that made the ugliest faces won. I kid you not. And the biggest insult, they didn't flip you off. They mooned you. Yeah. So on the 500th anniversary of, uh, or the 200th anniversary of the Treaty of Watangi, one of the uh, patriots of the Maori people mooned the queen. And of course he's thrown in jail for mooning the queen. But this is how, these are just light examples of how indigenous people around the world went about settling their differences without the spilling of much blood, if any. So we indigenous peoples, you know, we've got the wrong. It's a lie. What you've all learned about, it's a lie. We're among the cleanest people on earth. And the grave robbing society who call themselves archaeologists, they can ascertain to that. If you throttle them a little bit and force the truth out of them. And it's very gratifying to come from a peaceful. You know, because I picked up the gun in the 1970s. And I traveled around trying to convince my people to pick up a gun. I said, it's better to die free. I picked up all the revolutionary slogans. It's better to die free than a slave. And the white man only understands violence. That's all he understands, violence. So let's get the gun and let's kill. Let's do like he does. Let's kill indiscriminately. In South Dakota where they still hunt us. Let's just drive along and we see these ranchers out on our land working their cattle and on their fences. Let's just stop and blow them away. That's what I was saying in the early 70s. Let's take out some judges. My people wouldn't respond. Went all over this country, man. I went to the Everglades. Went to the Crows. Went all over. Down in Miccosukee, in the Everglades, in those chickies, homes without walls. I begin to have my awakening. They begin to teach me. And I begin to see how much they loved life. And life was so beautiful, they understood it. And that life worked for them, not against them. And they understood the concept of immortality. The indigenous peoples of the world, we understand immortality. We understand there is no death. There's only a change of worlds. And I saw these Mikazuki people, commonly referred to as Seminoles, who were driven into the Everglades. How they just loved life. 
And to talk to them about picking up the gun was just utterly ridiculous. And yet, they're the nation that militarily defeated the United States of, of America. You know? Just like my nation, the Lakota. Of course, you all know that, right? You learn that in your high school history books. <laughs> it resulted in the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty. Be that as it may, I came home. And my uncle sat me down, Matthew King. And he said, I want to tell you something, nephew. He said, I want to tell you that the white man is like a child. And you have to have a lot of patience. That's all he said. I thought about that. I gave it a lot of thought. And I put down the gun. And I began to understand what life was all about. I began to really start to listen to my elders. And I understand a little bit more about flies, mosquitoes, bees, Cockroaches, gnats, fleas, snakes. Clear understanding. Spiders, I love spiders. My people have a deep respect for spiders. We never kill them. You shouldn't either. Shouldn't kill anything. Set it free. So I started back in the movement. One thing in the American Indian movement, though, is we refuse to turn the other cheek. We also refuse to bend over and get the other two kicked. We are staunch believers in the art of self-defense, survival. And like any natural animal, when we're cornered, we will fight and struggle for our survival by any means necessary. But the Eurocentric male is not a dummy. He doesn't want to relinquish power. He never will relinquish power. So he is no longer going to try to change us into two-bit facsimiles of himself. He will allow us to be part-time Indians. What you see at these powwows now. Caricatures of what we once were. He will allow us to be part-time Indians. And he will allow you to be part-time Democrats and part-time Republicans. Part-time feminists. Part-time youth. He will allow you. And he will never relinquish his power. He's building more prisons. Making more laws. Doling out the band-aids. 
He's doling out the band-aids. All of a sudden, you had this past summer a bunch of drive-by shootings. Let's fix it. We're going to put those youth, longer prison sentence, for sentences, harsher prison terms. And we're going to build more prisons, put more beds, and build more prison cells. That was the, re the response of your legislature. My God. Now, I've been trying to tell you all that the United States of America is becoming one huge Indian reservation. And it already has. And the statistics will bear me out. Yeah? Let's go into your history. You know, I don't mind telling you about me. I really don't. But I'm getting sick and tired of having to tell you about your own history. But let's go back into your history and how the Constitution came about. It came from us, by the way. The Iroquois Confederacy specifically. Some of you, if not all of you, may know that. They sophisticated enough. But that's a long story in itself. I want to get to the point. We gave you the idea of individual freedom through representative government. Until that time, the Greeks, nobody. John Locke, nobody. Adam Smith, nobody knew about the freedom of the individual through representative government until we taught you all. All right. The Constitution comes from us. It's already been acknowledged. It's a fact. But the Constitution has been ripped to shreds. Number one, the IRS. Does it, does it have to pay attention to the, your rights under the Constitution? The DEA. The FBI. All the alphabet. <laughs> the only alphabet of government. They don't have to pay attention to your rights. And now you're going around screaming on the politicians are leading it. I can't believe you believe them. Tell me, how many times you got to get hit on that? Talk, I used to think my people were colonized on an Indian reservation, you know? And then I have to listen to the blatherings of a politician on TV. Your entire news media has been taken over by the government. Don't you realize the only people they interview are government and ex-government officials? That's a totalitarian state. That's Orwellian to the max. I mean, I can't watch the news. CNN's the worst. I can't watch the news. Because I know some government hack or ex-hack, actually they never become ex, some <laughs> government hack is going to get on there and give his expert opinion. It's, a, it's amazing, the propaganda in this country and, and you buy it, Mogadishu, you know. I'm going to force you to eat the food I bring you. And I'm going to take a gun along and do it. And this African said, no, you ain't. Buddy, get out. Boom, boom, boom. More Americans die. What's, what's the Eurocentric male response? Send more guns. Send more soldiers. Remember Clinton's promises? And here's a clown. Your new hope. The new guru. The messiah of America. I mean, I saw the inauguration poopa, you know? <laughs> Show business comes out and it's orchestrated, all the beautiful songs, fireworks, and y'all love Clinton. I'm doing a lot of work in, in Hollywood and they're all pro Clinton. Woo! And the first thing he does, the first thing he does, he appoints Benson. That's his first act as president, appoints Benson. 
The man responsible for the SNL ripoff. They ripped you off and you're going to be paying it till you're dead. Your children are going to pay it till they're dead. And then their children are going to pay it until they're dead. And, yeah. and that's Clinton, your savior. Wow. You know, the country is broke. You know that. The system has totally and is falling apart. And you've got Mother Earth to worry about. And guess who wants to become just like the United States? I'm not talking about Japan or Korea or India or England or Mexico or Canada. China, man. China wants to use as much oil as the United States does per capita. They want to create as much trash as the United States does per capita. You think Mother Earth's going to hang on? You don't think the other strains of the Hunter virus is going to come back? You poison, you continue, Chief Seattle said this, you continue to contaminate your bed and one night you will suffocate in your own waste. Voila, AIDS, Hunter virus, they're chopping down the rainforest and all of a sudden these new viruses are coming out causing all kinds of disease. New diseases. And then the summer's flood. Remember that? All the Eurocentric male power. Down the tubes when that river said, Hey, I want to expand this morning. It's getting... What's this, a dam over here? A levee over here? A city right there? No mother is stretched, boy. <laughs> the human being all of a sudden. So what are they doing? Building more levees. And I do think we have to become responsible. Otherwise, it's going to be too late pretty soon, you know. As you can see, Marxism has melded in with capitalism and your children are not going to enjoy the fruits I just read where Lily is now laying off 2,000 more you know you ever get tired of that and then the government tells you the unemployment rate's going down he comes up with these statistics of course they don't count the Indians on the reservation and those that are not drawing Unemployment benefits, you know, all the homeless aren't counted. It's like, but the unemployment rate's going down. Meanwhile, all the corporations are restructuring and, they're, and they want you to buy NAFTA. Well, I'm glad I'm an Indian. I've got a home, you know? And I'm going home. I'm going home, man. Because I have a way of life. I have a way of life that is nonviolent. In balance, and it doesn't want to make me become a tourist. <laughs> yeah? Think about it. Think about it. And I really weep inside when I see Indians out nowadays with the cameras out because I know they're not Indians anymore, they've become tourists, you know? So they've lost that sense of peace of mind 
that my elders have. It's always amazed me, my elders. They never wanted to travel, man. You know? Perfectly satisfied to be at home. When I moved to Cleveland, Ohio in 1968, went on relocation, courtesy of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, I got to choose Cleveland. So the Bureau of Indian Affairs relocated me to Cleveland. And I returned home the next summer and went to the Sundance and I was singing around the drum. And I told them I had arrived in Cleveland the previous July on the day the Cuyahoga River, a major river that floods into Lake Erie, caught on fire. <laughs> Cuyahoga River caught on fire. I went down and saw it because it was right near the, BIA, the federal building. And I watched them spraying water on the fire and water. <laughs> you know? At any rate, I thought that was novel. Uh, I went home and I was sitting around that drum and I, I told them that the river caught on fire. Nobody believed me sitting around the drum. That water doesn't catch on fire. So I explained to them about pollution. And across the drum from me was this older man, gnarled hands of a lifetime of work. He had on what we call Sally clothes. That's Salvation Army clothes. But we say we got it from Sally's department store. <laughs> kind of upgrade your feeling there. Uplift your clothes. So he had some, some Sally clothes. And he had to put it down his head and in my language, you know. And he said, well, the poor white man. The poor white man. And I looked at him. Now I was 29 years old, and I said, wait a minute. Here's this man who's never been anywhere in his life, destitute, practically, poor beyond his life, worked hard all his life, and he feels sorry for his oppressor? I got up from the drum, and I went for a walk on that one. And I started thinking, you know, where's he coming from? Where's he coming from? And the more I thought about it, and the more I think about it, he's right. Now understand something. I understand the sacred colors of life. And the primary sacred colors of the Lakota is black, red, yellow, and white. Represent the four quarters of the universe, the four winds, the four races of the human being. The four ages of the human being. The four ages of the earth. Black, red, yellow, and white. Mix those four colors together, you get the color brown the color of our sacred grandmother of the earth, and the other race of people. And you cannot go through life without acknowledging those sacred colors. And when you do acknowledge those sacred colors, then you will come to understand a little bit more about the female-male balance. And once you understand how to cope with and live with the female-male balance, you're going to find a path to conflict resolution. You're going to find a home. A home! A home. And that's what Americans need. They need a home. 
not fed to you by the government. You need a home. Mother Earth. Then you will un really understand nonviolence and respect for our relatives' visions. Think about that statement. Respect for your relatives' visions. If you have respect for the vision of a bird, if you have respect for the vision of a worm, you have respect for all the sacred colors. And then you'll start getting rid of your potted plants, man. The hardest thing for industrialized society is to free your plants in your home. <laughs> Try it. Let them free off of that reservation. Replant them into the sacred mother of the earth. And if they die, never fret, because they return to grandmother of the earth, which brings forth their descendants. They understand eternity. Your plants. Go home. Let your plants go, man. <laughs> Just like Chief Seattle said, in part, and I close with this. Said it to the President of the United States. Tribe follows tribe and nation follows nation. It's like the waves of the sea. It's the order of nature. And regret is useless. Your time of decay may be distant, but it will surely come. For even the white man's God, who walked and talked with him as friend with friend, could not escape our common destiny. We may be brothers after all. We shall see. Thank you. That was Russell Means, Knowing Who You Are, Lessons from Native America. This classic from the AR archives was recorded in Boulder, Colorado in 1993. Russell Means and Aglala Lakota and a prominent voice in the struggle for indigenous rights was the first national director of the American Indian Movement. Russell Means died on October 22, 2012. This program is produced by Alternative Radio, an unembedded award-winning weekly series based in Boulder, Colorado. Since we began broadcasting in 1986, AR is independent. That's why we can do programs such as the one you just heard or others with Michelle Alexander, Paul Cienfuegos, Winona LaDuke, Arundhati Roy, Medea Benjamin, and Noam Chomsky. We also have another Russell Means program called For the World to Live, Columbus Must Die. To access our complete audio and book catalog, just go to our website, alternativeradio.org. Again, our website where we are podcasting, alternativeradio.org. To place a credit card order for a CD, MP3, or written transcript of the program you just heard, Russell Means, Knowing Who You Are, Lessons from Native America, call us toll-free at 1-800-444-1977. Again, that toll-free number is 
877-381-3377. Or you can order on our secure website, alternativeradio.org. That's alternativeradio.org. Series theme music is performed by the Kronos Quartet from Pieces of Africa. Joe Ritchie is our editor. I'm David Barsamian. Thank you for listening.